Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Seth with us here today, who's the CEO and founder of Mission Wealth, a leading wealth management company that specializes in comprehensive financial planning and investment advisory services for high net worth individuals across the country. A thought leader in the area of conscious financial planning, Seth helps people reframe their perspective of wealth beyond just the financial so that they can enjoy more balanced, impactful, and fulfilled lives. Seth was recognized by Real Leaders Magazine in 2015 as one of the top 100 visionary leaders who strive to create a better world due to his work in conscious finance. Seth's experience in finance and the pursuit of well-being has caused him to become a sought-after speaker. In 2016, Seth was asked to speak on the TED stage to share his powerful message on redefining wealth. And in 2017, he was chosen to speak at and facilitate at the Young Presidents Organization, YPO Global Leadership Conference. His 2018 Developing Your 3.0 Vision for Life four-day international YPO event won the most impactful learning event of the year globally. Seth's passion is working with YPO chapters, forums, and members to help them develop and ignite a meaningful 3.0 vision for life and success. He's the chair of the Inspired Living sub-network of the YPO Health and Wellness Network. Seth is a founding member, officer, and board member of the YPO Pacific One Regional Chapter. As the founder of the nonprofit sustainablefuture.org, in 2017, Seth is growing a community unifying platform to empower positive daily actions in the areas of sustainable volunteerism and wellness. Campaigns utilizing the platform have been launched by businesses, nonprofits, schools, universities, and churches. Seth resides in Santa Barbara, California with his two teenage children. He enjoys travel, connecting, and fascinating people, continuous learning, and constant pursuit of finding the world's best chocolate chip cookie. Seth, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jesse. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, man. So you kind of teed it up there in that bio. I have to ask, where is the world's best chocolate chip cookie so far? Hey. I'm still in pursuit. I'm like Don Quixote. I'm constantly trying to find the best cookie. And everywhere I go, I ask, ask around, hey, what's the best chocolate chip cookie in this town? Uh, it makes for uh, a fun, ongoing kind of quest. It really does. It's, I, I always had those, those little ones. I, I, for a while, I was doing the best buffet in Las Vegas and had an Excel spreadsheet where you go and keep track of them and start grading them based off of you know, time, and, time acquiring, ease of access, quality of food, quality of service, all those kinds of things. Yeah. So Seth, you, you're, you're a fascinating guy. You have lots of cool stuff going on. And I would really, I think maybe we could start with just uh, what is redefining wealth? I think that is a topic of conversation that I've heard more and more as of lately, especially with, at the time of this recording, it's the end of May 2020. We're kind of coming at the tail end of the shelter in place quarantine with COVID. And it's given us, it's afforded many of us this opportunity where maybe we haven't been working as much, where the economy's big in question, but it's afforded us this opportunity to spend more time in nature, spend more time with family. And, and I've, you know, for me, when I step aside my own individual personal fears, I've also recognized I've had some of the most blissful, happy moments of my life during this time and just the simplicity of it. And I think it has people really starting to ask the question of what does wealth really mean where we were once taught that maybe wealth and money are the same thing. So what is, what is redefining wealth? Right. Well, I agree that right now with COVID, it's been a great opportunity for us to kind of reflect and ask ourselves, you know, what is wealth? What is success? 
because Jesse, you know, I think a lot of us have been uh, on this treadmill of a scripted path to success where we've bust our butt in school. We you know, maybe went to grad school. We started off in our careers. Maybe we started businesses. We just put our head down and whatever it took, late night emails, commuting, I'm going to achieve success because at the end of the day, we're worried if we don't, we won't be worthy, right? If I don't achieve a certain level of success and maybe that's a milestone of a net worth or maybe that's a milestone of a, a car or a house or a certain lifestyle, then I'm not gonna be enough. And what redefining wealth is really all about is helping people to realize that there's many dimensions of wealth beyond the balance sheet. So I've actually come up with 11 different dimensions of wealth, only one of which is financial. So, you know, the quality of our physical body, how we, how we look, feel, and function is a dimension of wealth right now that obviously a lot of people are realizing with the prioritization around the uh, physical distancing. Uh, the level of impact we feel like we're having in the world, the quality of our relationships, our social capital, how much we're growing intellectually, uh, how much fun we have in our life, our spiritual development, all these are other dimensions of wealth that really shouldn't be ignored. But again, when we're on that treadmill, following that scripted path of success, sometimes they do get pushed down because, you know, we sacrifice family time. We sacrifice workouts because we are so busy. I'm so busy. How are you doing? Busy. That's a common answer. And I think with COVID, we've had the opportunity to kind of hit the pause button a bit and to reflect, wow, this is what it feels like to slow down. This is what it feels like to connect more deeply with my family and friends. This is what it feels like to have more time in nature and more walks and, you know, just a slower pace of life, less travel, less going out and being, you know, at shows and at uh, restaurants. And so I see this really as an opportunity for many people to reflect and kind of awaken to a degree as to what fuels them when it comes to a path of success, a path of fulfillment. Uh, so in that way, I see COVID as being really a huge opportunity. You know, I, I appreciate that so much, Seth, because when I reflect back on these last couple months, I really, it's, it's been funny, like having these own introspective moments of my life and in context with the financial piece. Last couple months, I've probably made the least amount of money I've made professionally in the, in the, in the last however many years. Mm -hmm. I've traveled the least amount I have. I've, I've, gone out the least amount of times, all those types of things. So the, the other side of it, I've, I've cooked more meals at home. I've spent more time just kind of really admiring my neighborhood, my neighbors, like making eye contact with people, smiling, going for little casual walks, playing with playing string with cats, you know, things like that. And it's been amazing to see that in that, how blissful some of those moments have been, or I've allowed them to be. And then when I start to put that in context with how I've lived my life, I realized that so much of it was like a hurry up onto the next. Even with travel, like I, I love to travel, but often the travel would be like, it would be so methodical of getting in there, getting on the plane, almost militant, right? Get to the, get to the hotel, get the laptop off, get the stuff done, get up, go do the things, go do the touristy, take the selfie, get on that, go back, get right back to the grind. And then when people would ask me, like if you would ask me six months ago, how are you doing? I would have said, oh man, super busy, got this, 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 and this. And it was almost like that, that proverbial measuring stick of, hey, who's got more on our plate right now? And to take that away, it has been so unbelievably freeing. And then I, I think about why am I even doing that in the first place? I'm doing it probably because I want to be able to slow down at some point and have more time with the people I love and care about. 
exactly. And, and, and yet you're having it right now and you realize I didn't have to wait. I didn't have to defer living by being busy until I could finally be a being instead of a doing. And, you know, when we think about our own worth, I just encourage people to think about your many other assets you have. So like you said, maybe you haven't earned as much money the last few months, but maybe you've had more time for creativity and, and you've started to doodle or you've started to paint or you've started to play music or you've started to meditate more. So your artistic capital has grown. Mm. Maybe you've come up with new ideas like this show that you're doing is incredible with almost a hundred guests so far. Uh, your intellectual capital has grown. Uh, maybe you've developed deeper relationships with people and you've worked your network to a degree. Your goodwill capital has grown. These are other forms of wealth that we have that arguably are far more valuable than an IRA or a 401k or you know, a real estate holding because these are how we can be fully expressed into the world. And these assets are how we can make the biggest contribution to others. So it's really an opportunity to think about what is wealth what are the gifts that I have to deploy and how have I not been fully expressing those gifts? Because you know, what the world needs are people who come alive being you know, vulnerable and, and bold in how they express their natural talents. And I think COVID is helping people, you know, especially for the soon to be 25 million unemployed, right? There's people who are wondering, gosh, what am I going to do? What if my business doesn't bring me back? What if my uh, you know, job at a restaurant doesn't bounce back like I hope? How can you use this time to maybe fulfill a calling that has been sitting dormant within you, that has been waiting to come out, that could be a natural gift that you could express that could actually help others and bring more light into the world? That is the opportunity I think we have right now. Seth, I so appreciate your language choices of using assets and capital in conjunction with things like artistic ability or your health. Because it, it draws light to the this very singular focus that we've been taught around money and wealth and that assets and capital go to these little green pieces of paper that we carry around in our wallets or our purses. And then in turn, it probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest sources of stress, anxiety, maybe disruption in relationships. Why is it that, I mean, maybe you can speak a little bit to the psychology of that. Why is it that we've been taught or that we we fixate on those things in lieu of really acknowledging these other, these other assets, these other levels of capital we have, because gosh, when you look at it, especially if you're, if you're assessing 11 points and there's only one, which is what, 8%, 9%, that means, I mean, it really, from that frame of mind, it gives us all a really empowering place of where we can really be supremely wealthy in a way that we may not have even thought we were po that was possible. Yeah. I, when I do workshops, I have the 11 dimensions in like a pie chart and people can go and take a look at it if they want to. Uh, missionwealth.com, redefining wealth. You can take a look at that. Uh, but what happens is I have people rank each of those pie charts, each of those 11 pieces of the pie with a F if they feel fulfilled in that category or a you if they feel unfulfilled. And that's a totally subjective ranking, right? Mm -hmm. So when someone goes through and they see where their wheel is bumpy, like, wow, I've been neglecting these three pieces of my wealth pie. And you know, they can then go, wow, how can I you know, inflate those pieces? How can I put more investment of my time and my energy and other resources into those pieces? And it just creates kind of this aha 
the reason why to answer your question, Jesse, I think people uh, have really been singularly focused on the one piece of the pie, which is the financial, is how we we're raised and how we continue to be shaped by media. You know, we see the lifestyles of the rich and famous and the jets and the cars and the, and the rappers with the money and, you know, all that stuff. It's all about material acquisition. And, uh, you know, and, and depending on how old someone is, their parents or grandparents maybe were out of the World War II era and it was all about conservation. You know, don't, you got to be careful. You got to be cautious. And uh, those two mindsets really shape how people have thought that in order to be happy, I better go acquire. I better hoard, I better accumulate, even if it's at the expense of other people, even if it's at the expense of our planet, even if it's at the expense of my own personal well-being. And so that's where we need to wake up and realize that that's like fool's gold, right? Because I've ha I have clients with $20 million homes who aren't happy. Hmm. And I've done service work all over the world, Honduras, Guatemala, all over, where they literally have almost nothing from a material perspective, and yet they're happy. They're fulfilled. Mm. So this, this mindset that I have to get the $10 million house to be happy or the new car or the new suit or whatever the bling bling might be, uh, it gives you momentarily senses of satisfaction, but then that goes away as soon as you see a nicer car or your new shoes get scuffed or someone else has you know, a bigger balance sheet than you. So I would just encourage people to realize what matters to you. It's not a societal definition, it's your own definition and deploy your energies and your sense of self-worth there. Hmm. Seth, in the brief time I've known you, I've always been so inspired by the, the humanitarian type work you do around the world and with other organizations and for the climate. And I'm wondering if you could pick one, what is the wealthiest, wealthiest moment you've experienced in that kind of work? Oh man, Jesse, that's, it's really hard. I mean, probably by definition, it would be um, a service trip I took uh, in Guatemala with my daughter. And I actually tell this story uh, in my TED talk, but um, I connected, I'm gonna try not to cry during this, but I connected with a young girl while we were there. Her name is Debbie. And she was the most beautiful young girl. And every day I would go there and she would run to me. There's probably 30 kids in this orphanage and it was just my daughter volunteering. Every day she would run to me and we had this little ritual where we would go smell flowers and I would have her smell first and I would smell and I'd make faces. And I put, uh, they had chalks, I put like a chalk and we did like a hopscotch and we uh, went and I like did a little tea party. There's a little teacup. She was uh, five years old and um, I, I fell in love with this little girl. She was just so amazing. And her, her familial story was tragic. And so I just felt so bad for her. And yet she was this light, right? She had this light and she would put special bows in her hair and you know, was really proud of her colored purple bows. And I remember as we were leaving uh, on our last day there at the orphanage, I was playing with the other kids, but you know, Debbie was really close to me. And I was holding on to this tug at my heart knowing I was going to have to say goodbye to her and I was almost ready to like adopt her but they wouldn't let uh, Americans adopt uh, kids from Guatemala because of human trafficking and like all sorts of bad stuff that had happened so I knew that wasn't an option I knew I had to say goodbye and I knew I'd probably never see her again and mm. based on all the you know situation there 
And so I uh, said goodbye to all the other kids and I waited to say goodbye to Debbie last. And I remember thinking like, gosh, Seth, how come you didn't bring something for her? I was gonna bring her a gift and I didn't have a gift. And so I went to my backpack and I like looked in it to see if I had a piece of gum or something and I found a penny. I had a shiny US penny. And so I got down on my knees and I you know, said to, you know, to Debbie in Spanish, like, it has been such an amazing time getting to know you. You're an amazing young girl. You're gonna do amazing things in your life and keep smelling the flowers, keep having the tea parties, keep smiling, keep wearing those purple bows. And uh, I said, I want you to know that you're always gonna be with me, Debbie. Um, you're always gonna be here in my heart and I believe in you. And so I, I opened my hand and I uh, gave her this penny uh, as an acknowledgement of, of my caring for her and my belief in her. And I gave her a hug and I, you know, started to tear up. I didn't want her to see me. So I left and my daughter said her goodbyes. And then when we got on the, the bus, like one of these chicken buses in Guatemala to get back to our host family, uh, my daughter Sage said, you know, dad, uh, you know, I, I took some photos and I want to show you one. And so I said, okay. And so she was showing me the photos and she knew how sad I was because she knew I was so connected to Debbie. And uh, she said, look at this one. And she said, I walked up to Debbie after you had said goodbye to her. And she was standing there with her hand clenched. And she said, Debbie, you know, what's in your hand? And she looked carefully and she's like, tengo un regalo de su padre. I have a gift from your dad. And she opened up her hand slowly to show that penny in her hand to Sage. And Sage took a, a photo of that. And wow. uh, you know, she, she treasured that penny and I treasured that penny and I treasured that moment. And that level of connection when doing work is what makes it so meaningful. You know, it makes you wonder what is, what do the Debbies of the world have to teach us all? Yeah, they, they can teach us a lot. You know, what, how often have we taken a penny and just tossed it aside? It's worthless. Yeah. And so it's all about meaning, right? It's about meaning and where we attribute meaning and meaning comes from connection. Meaning comes from purpose. You know, my, my calling now is really around climate change. And I have a nonprofit, sustainablefuture.org, where I am trying to unify the community and communities, whether it's nonprofits, businesses, schools, toward positive actions we can all take to make a difference for a positive culture, for volunteerism. And that's where I'm finding meaning now, right? That's where I'm finding value is, is the more you give, the more you get. So whatever that looks like for someone, if it's volunteering at a animal shelter, if it's you know picking up trash on the beach, if it's doing service work somewhere else, just find that meaning because where there's meaning, there's worth and where there's worth, there's value. And when there's value, there's just a whole other level of living that we're all, um, we all have available to us. Seth, when, I'm curious, when you're talking with your clients about this and about finding this next level, this other level, where do you tell them to begin to look or how do you tell them to be in the look? Because I can imagine that, again, when we're, when we're so in that laser-focused mindset of what we're supposed to do, especially with some of the folks you work with that are going to be this higher achiever, which I imagine then that becomes even a more myopic level of laser-focusedness, how do you help? how can they begin to expand their vision, expand their sight so they can start to look for and find that other level for them? Right. Well, we always meet clients or, you know, coaching clients where they are. So you can't just like infuse contemplation and reflection and life purpose talks out of the blue, you know, people care and like they want to retire in two years and they want to buy a house and they want to put their kids in college. And that takes 
you know, definite left brain thinking and strategies and, and techniques. So to tell you the truth, Jesse, I mean, typically where it comes is when there's been a wake up call or a life event in someone's life. Mm-hmm. So they've just lost a loved one. They've just gone through a divorce. Uh, they've just, uh, you know, retired or sold their company. Like something's shaking their tree, right? And all of a sudden they're like, wait, I, well, I'm not who I thought I was. My sense of identity tied up in what I've done or who I was or my academic prowess or my business, that's, or, or being a parent to an independent, you know, to a young child, dependent child, that no longer is their definition. And so now they're in this space of receptivity and it's almost like a portal into going from their head to their heart. And that's where usually you can start to help people tap into this calling and maybe these deferred dreams that they haven't listened to. And that's really the purpose of my retreats is we catch people in those transitional moments of life where they are available to do the work. And that's where we talk about like life in three phases and how to design and ignite your life 3.0 vision. So it has more meaning, more purpose, more joy, more balance. You're no, no longer on the treadmill like you were. Now you have expansiveness available to you. And how can we craft that? And we do that for you know, women. We do that for CEOs. We can do that for children. And it, it doesn't have to be, uh, we don't have to wait until retirement you know, to then have a wake-up call. Let's have it now. Mm-hmm. And I usually find that uh, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So for some reason, we all get wake-up calls that kind of knock our bell to a degree. And I think for many, COVID is that bell, right? I think for many, COVID has been that wake-up call. So that's why, again, there's been a lot of tragedy through this. And I, I really feel for, obviously, the people who've lost loved ones, uh, the people who are really suffering financially. Uh, and it is a new world as, as we're all trying to reinvent uh, ourselves. But I also believe that it's a wake-up call. And I believe that there's a lot of transformation that's happening right now. And with that, it, it, it gives me hope and it gives me optimism. Yeah, I I so appreciate you acknowledging that, Seth. My one of the greatest lessons my dad ever taught me was in death, and that my dad was, I think, a classic example of, you know, defer until retirement, defer until retirement, defer until retirement. In his last couple of years of his life, he, when he got sick with cancer, he went through the chemo, the surgery, all those treatments and stuff because he was so young, trying to gain more time so he could live and. You know, literally two weeks before he passes away, he gets the handshake from the doctor, the congratulations, you beat cancer, you have your whole life in front of you. And my dad finally had taken the time to sit down, pulled out a piece of paper and a pen and, and began to scribble out what his dream camping trip would be and the supplies he would need for it, where he would go, what it would look like. He didn't put this on and he had bought a back, backpack. And then two weeks later, he's dead. And never got to have that trip, never got to go. And, and I remember, so my mom had sent me that backpack because the following year I was going to Peru to do Machu Picchu and the Inca Trail. And when I opened the backpack up, I found that his list had been in it. And it just, it just shook me so much because what was so, what was so profound in it was the simplicity of the list. You know, this was his big dream. And this was his life after cancer, his second shot, his new awakening. And it wasn't, you know, a big REI shopping spree or anything like that. It was very simple, like a sleeping bag, a little water stove heater. You know, it was was the simplicity of the list. 
And that was what was so meaningful for him. And that was the thing that he put off for so long because of at the expense of everything else. And gosh, I, 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 I'm with you. I feel like there is such an incredible opportunity right now for us to start to awaken. And it's not to minimize the value of, of working hard and pursuing those kinds of goals, but to awaken to the fact that, gosh, there is this whole big piece, like those other 10 pieces of the pie out there that, maybe those lessons are staring us in the face right now. You know, everybody's getting their, their simple camping trip list. And if we would just look at it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Jesse. Yeah. That, sure that was that major Machu Picchu uh, trip that much more meaningful. Uh, you know, having that connection to your dad uh, there, maybe you're on the trail or close to being on the trail, which is such a sacred uh, four day journey. I've done that too. Uh, you know, one of the questions that I'll ask in retreat, uh, which can be pretty powerful is, you know, say you have one adventure left in you, what is it? Like, what's that one adventure that if on your deathbed, you don't have the opportunity to take it or do it, you, you would have regret. And, and that by adventure, it could be learning to play guitar. It could be rekindling with a sibling. It could be writing a book. It could be traveling around the world. It could be climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, you know, whatever that adventure looks like to you. But, you know, I think on our deathbed, people don't regret the things they've done. They regret the things they haven't done. And, and we have an opportunity to make that list today. We have an opportunity to write down what really wakes us up, what, what makes us come alive, and what is yearning to be more fully available to us. And why not flip and unpack that shit right now? Sorry. But why, why not? make it happen and, and write your list, right? Choose your adventure. And, you know, I, I like to think about like, what advice would my older self give me today? Like I just turned 50. If I was looking at my 90 year old self, if I hopefully live that long, if I could sit down and have 90 year old Seth with his, you know, cute bald head, <laughs> looking at me 40 years younger than him. And I said, you know, like, what could you tell me older Seth? I would listen, right? Wouldn't you listen yeah, to your oh, 90-year-old yeah. Jesse? Yeah. yeah. And what would that 90-year-old Jesse tell you? You know, he'd probably tell you, like, stop worrying and, and, and tap into your heart and don't overwork, overlove, you know, and learn how to, you know, be your fullest self and, and bring your gifts even more fully, Jesse. Don't hold back. And those limitations you have are just self, self-made, you know, all these things. And so I like to think about my guide. My, my old, wrinkled, bald, 90-year-old Seth, Seth guide telling me how to live my life today. And that's what sometimes gives me that nudge when I'm feeling anxious or I'm not feeling brave to go do something that is a yearning for me to do. Uh, so I, I try to always know that, you know, on the path of life where there's a path that's familiar and unfamiliar, the unfamiliar path is the scary one, but it's also where there's the most growth. And I, I just encourage people to pick that path that they know is there that maybe is scary because that's where the, the best fruit is, right? The best fruit is not on the low hanging branches. It's like out on the limbs and, and let's go get the best fruit. Let's go out on those limbs and live our best life. Love that. Seth, we, we just have a few minutes left and I want to make sure we touch on the sustainable future piece, because I know that's something you're deeply passionate about. And earlier you, you glanced on it briefly. So I'm hoping we can touch back on it. You're talking about working with people and organizations to develop specific actions that we could take to really be proactive in that. I'm wondering maybe what are two or three actions that all of us could take right now 
that we could begin taking, maybe we're not taking that are simple everyday ones to be more proactive and making a more sustainable future. Because you and I were sharing offline, one of the really neat things about this is hearing people talk about how the skies seem clearer, there's less traffic on the road, the water is clearer. And I, I mean, I remember one day very vividly walking outside thinking, wow, it really does smell a little fresher out here. And that could have been my hallucination, but I, it was a beautiful hallucination. And, and I think that there is so much to see. Like the, one of the most telling things for me during this whole thing was the satellite photo that was shown over China where it was showing the, I think it was the pollution output. And it was kind of chronicling it when it was at its apex of lockdown and how much that was reduced. So maybe there's a couple of things that you could share with us that we could all begin doing to help continue that momentum that COVID has kind of forced us in the building of really being more sustainable for a future in, in a community. Sure. Yeah, and I would encourage people to go to sustainablefuture.org because we have a, a platform that you can have all sorts of actions and you gamify it. You get points and badges and prizes and recognitions for doing the right thing. You know, here's a simple one that for whatever reason just drives me crazy. When people park their cars, assuming it's not an electric car, which most aren't, when they park their cars, a lot of times they'll sit idle, picking up their kids or waiting at the grocery store, and they let their car just run. And maybe they're checking emails, and they might sit there five, ten minutes. The car's just running idle. Imagine if the millions of cars that are just left running idle for no reason, you can put your window down. You don't need to have the AC blasting. Stop doing that. How much less carbon output would happen? Just turn off your car when you park where you park. Like that's like mm. a simple one. Uh, obviously, you know, there's we have six categories of kind of environmental concerns. So transportation issues like, you know, the car issue could also be biking, walking more, uh, using mass transit, carpooling with friends, doing more virtual meetings instead of driving to meetings. Like those are all ways to reduce the gallons of gas we consume per day per person. Uh, another big one for me is, is waste, right? In Santa Barbara, the average person produces about five pounds of waste a day. Wow. And it's been tough with COVID because there's more and more, you know, single use happening. But uh, we all can easily have reusable, even if you get a, a plastic cup, use it multiple times, or plastic bag, use it multiple times. Uh, we don't need to be generating the level of trash we're generating. And just be mindful of, you know, use a reusable mug. It's not that hard, right? We don't have to be so lazy and get a new cup, cup straw, uh, stir every time we go get coffee. So, uh, and coffee places will fill up a reusable mug. So um, waste is, is a big one. And uh, trying to, you know, source food locally is another big one. Like it's crazy in Santa Barbara, a big percentage of the food that we produce is exported. And, you know, over 90% of the food we consume is imported. So we might be growing an apple here, sending it down there. And then the apple we buy at Trader Joe's is shipped to us from Chile. And it's like, if we could just source locally, you'd be saving a lot of the shipping and the cost and the waste. Uh, and, and it's actually healthier to eat local food. So there's many things we can do. I would just say be mindful and uh, allow yourself to, I would say, get rid of the silo effect. Because what I find is that, you know, there's so many great nonprofits in Santa Barbara. Each one's doing fantastic work, but they're operating in a silo from each other. And my whole vision was to create a platform where nonprofits, businesses, schools, churches, public sector resources can come together under one guiding uh, platform. And then we can leverage the strengths from this business, from this nonprofit, from this public resource, instead of living in these silos. So unsilo your mindset, let's bring the community together 
and let's make positive actions. And, and the, my big vision is imagine if there was a dashboard that we could have real-time data across these metrics. Here's the cleanliness of air. Here's the uh, amount of uh, rainforest left. Here's amount of trash you know, being produced. And if we could see improvement across those spectrums through each small action we took, each reusable mug we used, then we would feel part of something and we'd feel like there was hope. And then we could see how that was making a positive impact when it comes to, to climate change. Uh, so that's my vision is let's come together. Let's not stay apart. And every little action we take does make a difference. I love that idea of the board. I, that's just so brilliant. I mean, I, I do it with my car when I drive. I, I make games with myself if I'm driving longer than 20 minutes about trying to get the eco part up at the better level that just see if I can put it up in just that little digital thing. It's incredible the level of accountability it gives me to try to be that little bit more responsible, you know, yeah. that little less pressure on the gas pedal. And we were uh, part of something called the Eco Challenge during the month of April. There were 818 teams globally that participated, including like corporate teams like Salesforce. This is the first year Santa Barbara participated. And uh, we came in 14th out of 818 teams globally doing a bunch of these small actions. And we had you know, mm -hmm. students from local high schools and junior highs. We had business people. We had all sorts of types of people involved in it. So when you make it a challenge and you make it kind of fun, maybe it's a challenge within your team that we set up that ties to your corporate culture. It's a challenge within your school. And then you have schools compete against schools and classrooms compete against classrooms and departments in your company compete against departments. It, it keeps people engaged. It makes it fun. You have a leaderboard. So people get rewarded for those who are taking those little steps like you're talking about. So the making it public, making people aware, and then making it part of your culture and maybe it's volunteerism, maybe it's not sustainability, maybe it's health and workouts. Whatever positive actions you want to promote, doing it in this gamified way can be very, very impactful. Seth, we just said, I want to be respectful of time. This is that ish part I was telling you about where selfishly I want to keep going, but I want to be respectful. So I'm hoping this last question, I can talk to 90-year-old Seth and pick his brain of wisdom. 90-year-old Seth, I want to come back to Debbie. What level of impact at 90 years old, what legacy has Debbie created in your life? She's taught me to lead from my heart. And she taught me it's okay to be a vulnerable leader and uh, to really care for others in a deep way. And that in doing so, that, that is true wealth. Well, now that we have two grown men crying, <laughs> I, better quickly, I better quickly sum this up. Everyone, my goodness, what a treat this has been. Rewatch, re-listen, take notes, and most important, implement. Seth took us on this incredible journey of what redefining wealth is and considering that there's 11 metrics available that we can use to measure wealth, of, one, of which only one is actually comes down to the money that's in your pocket. And in considering that you have, I love how he interchanged those terms that we com commonly associate with financial wealth, capital, assets, and used it to talk about our artistic capital, our, our, the assets of our physical health, and how we have these other assets, these other capital systems that we can develop and really utilize. The notion of looking at right now to the wake up, not waiting until retirement to start to live, but and to be the, instead of being the human doing all the time to start being more of a human being right now the 
amazing value of a penny learned from a five-year-old little girl at an orphanage in Guatemala, a story that I certainly could feel, and I'm sure you felt too, and I think that's the feeling piece of it that's so important. It's the connection piece. It's the truth in it that we all know deep down that once we get aside from the material thing, this isn't to make small of the material stuff. I think it's wonderful to have material wants and enjoy some of those comforts in life, but often it's the understanding of what true wealth can be and where it really impacts us the most. And that's why we feel those stories of the Debbies of the world and, and the value of a penny. You know, hopefully that you'll leave from today and look at a penny a little bit differently. The idea of looking at environmental change and what we can all do. Gosh, I was thinking about just the other day when I put my car on idle because I was too lazy to turn it off because it was a little warmer. And I could have rolled the windows down, shut it off, and said I sat there and looked at air conditioning. And then it, the math in my head was very quickly. A million cars at five minutes idle. Gosh, that's a lot of, a lot of an impact that we can make right away. And it goes to the notion that really it is the small little incremental things that each of us can do because sometimes I, I definitely have that voice and says, well, what can I do? What good can I do? What difference can I make? But it's not, a, it's not a me, it's a we. And if we all make those little tiny impacts, if we all reduce our trash, our waste, instead of five pounds to four and a half, a half a pound's not a much, but over a whole populace, a whole community, that is a massive shift. And then to come full circle about gosh, the opportunity to lead from your heart. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to love. It's okay to really tap into what matters most. You know, many of us have had shared those stories where we'll see someone who seems to have less than us, and we often wonder, how can they be so happy? And maybe, just maybe, there's some wisdom in there that we haven't tapped into, and this provides the inspiration to revisit those own stories that you've experienced in your life, and maybe they too, your, the Debbies of your life will be your guides to leading from your heart and greater capacity. Seth, this has been such an extraordinary blessing, man. Thank you so, so very much for sharing. We, I deeply appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Jesse. It was a beautiful experience and, and thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. We'll see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to